dismissed, but Joey already got that memo before I got up here. <laughs> Pentecost is an historic event. And what I love about Acts 2 is really, it's hard to follow up the greatest sermon that was ever preached and written in Scripture. But Pentecost happened 50 days after the resurrection, 10 days after the ascension of Jesus into heaven. It was an historic event for God's people and for his church. And on this Memorial Day weekend, we set aside a single day to remind us of the great work and the great sacrifice that the men and women who gave their lives for this country. Memorial Day was first known as Decoration Day and began in May 30th of 1868 following the American Civil War. It was called by General John A. Logan to decorate the graves of his comrades who had fallen in the defense of their country after the Civil War. And in 1971, it became a federal holiday commemorating and honoring all who had fallen defending our nation. And it should call to mind certain historic events of our country's pastime, from the Civil War to World War I and II, the Vietnam War and the Korean War, and the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. Cities and towns all across the United States will have parades, they will hang flags, and they will make an entire day to celebrate these great sacrifices Memorial Day is set apart to remember what others have done for us. Well, much like Memorial Day, Pentecost is a day in the life of the church set apart to remember what Christ has done for his people. It is a day in history that Jesus Christ fulfilled all the promises of God. It is the day that the Holy Spirit was poured upon His people. Pentecost is the day of fulfillment. It is a historic day reminding us of God's redemptive work in Jesus. And it might surprise you when I say this, but it is not just a single historic day. But it is just as important, it is just as much a redemptive historical day as Good Friday. We celebrate the suffering of Jesus upon the cross for his people. It is just as much a redemptive historic event as Resurrection, Easter Sunday. Pentecost is the day in which God the Father, because of his covenant promises, to his people, were fulfilled in the life, death, and resurrection and the ascension of God the Son, bestowed upon his people, God the Holy Spirit, effectively accomplishing their redemption. It is just as important in the life of the church to celebrate Pentecost as it is 
the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is a day in our history we should always remember because it is a day of fulfillment. Without it, God's people remain in their sins. Without it, we would remain outside of Christ. Without it, we would not receive all of the promises of God, the inheritance that was promised to our forefathers. Because without it, without it, we do not receive Christ's redemption that he accomplished upon the cross. Without it, we would not receive the Holy Spirit himself who was poured on God's people. It wasn't blood that was poured upon them that day. It was the Spirit of God who descended upon his people, fulfilling all of his promises. And this is what we see in Acts 2. The fulfillment of God's promises to his people. First, it fulfills Acts 1, 5, and verse 8, where they were promised that John baptized you with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit many days from now. And that points us back to all the promises that John the, the Baptist made in the Gospels, in Mark 3, and Mar- Matthew 1, or sorry, in Matthew 3, and Mark 1, and Luke 3. John told the people of this day, when God's people would be baptized by fire. Acts 2 also fulfills John 14 and John 16, where Jesus said, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. And I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he speaks, he he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me. For he will take that as mine and declare it to you. All that, the Father has, all that the Father has is mine. And therefore I said that he will take that what is mine and declare it to you. Pentecost is a day of fulfillment. But even more than that, and as we'll see in just a few minutes, Pentecost is the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament promises of God. Sinclair Ferguson says, Pentecost publicly marks the transition from the old to the new covenant and signifies the commencement of the now of the day of salvation. It is the threshold of the last days. And and this is what we've been waiting for, right? We've spent the last two months going through the Old Testament promises, the Old Testament prophets that declared the coming the coming of the day of the Lord. And as Micah said in chapter 4, verse 1, the latter days. You see, all of these promises, all of what the Old Testament prophets were looking 
and longing to see, as Peter said, come to completion at Pentecost. In the past few months, we have read 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12, three different times. Because Peter, there in his epistle, makes the same connection that he makes here in his sermon. All of God's promises are wrapped up with a bow when the Spirit descends upon his people. Brian Borgman says, The significance of Pentecost is primary primarily a part of the accomplishment of redemption. It is the crown of Jesus. Once for all, his redemptive work is complete. Pentecost is not just an added bonus for the church. It isn't just an add-on to the cross. It isn't just an add-on to the resurrection. Pentecost is not a second blessing. It is the day which God fulfilled all the blessings of Christ, and gave them to his people. Pentecost is the day that the new age of the Spirit began because that's what God's people needed most. They needed the promises of God to be fulfilled for their own redemption. What I want us to see this morning as we look, and we're primarily going to be looking at verses 1 through 21, and then we're going to look at verses 37 to 39. And what I want us to see is how Luke connects two themes into the great story of God's redemptive work in Christ. And I just want to say this, when I first started I had six, but we didn't have that much time, and so I cut it down to two. I could easily have done six different sermons on this passage, but we're just going to do one. And hopefully it'll only take about 50 minutes. Um, But I want us to see these two. Nobody laughed. That was a joke. (laughs) Hopefully. Um, But I want us to see two things. I want us to see a new beginning that happened at Pentecost. And I want us to see the new baptism that happened at Pentecost. If we come to Acts 2 without a background and seeing how it connects to the Old Testament, we miss everything that Luke points out to us. Because this is Luke's second volume. Luke began with his gospel, speaking of the Spirit working in the birth of Christ. And then we see the Spirit baptize, come down on Christ as he begins his ministry and he goes and preaches the gospel of the new kingdom. And in his second volume, we see the Spirit at work. The work in God's people. And this is what we see in verses 1 through 3. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. The twelve disciples, the twelve apostles, were in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. We've experienced a mighty rushing wind like this, or something like this, I can imagine. Just a few months ago, I was sitting in this office, and we had 30-mile-an-hour winds rush through this field, right? This is the day that Fayette Academy lost their speed zone sign. We lost two canopies on our end of our doors. When winds, rushing winds comes, you can hear it, and you can feel it. 
But imagine what these apostles are going through. Not only are they sitting in a room and they hear that wind go by, that wind comes into that room and shakes the foundations upon which they are sitting. The wind came in and fire appeared. And these aren't just two random images that Luke uses. But these are great Old Testament imagery connecting to the presence of God. Whether it's at Sinai, where a great wind and a mighty storm came upon the mountain, or whether it's the pillar of fire that led God's people through the Red Sea. The wind throughout the Old Testament can also be translated as the breath or the Spirit of God. And in fact, this is exactly what we see in Genesis 1, verses 2, that the earth was out form or void, and the darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit, or the wind of God, was hovering over the face of the waters. It was the wind of God, the Spirit of God, that was creative. It was the Spirit of God through who His power He created all things from nothing. And here in Acts 2, we see the Spirit is not creating something out of nothing, but the Spirit of God is actually doing something recreative. He is recreating the 12 disciples by His power. And we've seen this before. In our assurance of pardon, we read from Ezekiel 36, the, God promising his people that he would sprinkle them with the Holy Spirit. And in the next chapter, we see in Ezekiel 37 what happens. God tells his prophet to prophesy to a valley of dry bones. And what happens? Behold, I will cause breath to enter. And they shall live. I will cause this great wind. I will cause the Spirit to come and bring to life that which is dead. And those bones experienced resurrection life through the power of God's Spirit at work in Ezekiel. The same Spirit, this breath of God, this mighty rushing wind came into the room and recreated God's apostles and they experienced a new beginning in Christ. Something that had never been accomplished before happened on Pentecost. It was a day of fulfillment. It was on that day, just as the Spirit of God's glory descended upon the tabernacle, at the, end of, at the end of the book of Exodus, it was on that day the Spirit descended upon God's apostles, creating a new sanctuary in which the Spirit of God would dwell forever in the midst of His people. It was the Spirit who was recreating on that day a new temple in the apostles. He was fulfilling all of the promises of God. He was fulfilling what Jesus promised he would do. That in order to be a part of his new kingdom, you must be born again. 
You must experience rebirth, a new beginning. And God was at work in the midst of his people. He was doing for them what they could not do themselves. And we know this is true, not only from the the mighty wind, not only from the divided tongues of fire that descended upon them, but where does Peter go? Where does he go in this narrative? He goes straight back to the prophets. Peter stood with the eleven and lifted up his voice and said, These men are not drunk. And then he proclaimed the words of the prophet Joel. And do you remember what the prophet of Joel said? Do you remember what he proclaimed? Well, here's the context of Joel chapter 2. Joel was speaking of the day of the Lord and reminding the people of the covenant curse that was coming if they did not repent of their sins. He declared the curse of the law. If you continue in the way that you are going, this is where your sins will lead you. And then he says in verse 12 of Joel chapter 2, Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and render your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Does that not sound familiar? And this is what he promises. He gives them covenant promises and attaches them to agrarian imagery yet again. He will give them rain that will be poured down upon them that will bless them. He will make their crop grow as an imagery of their inner spirit, what happens when you follow the law of God. And when you hear these great promises of God, this is where Peter quotes Joel 2, 28-29. And now it shall come to pass after that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit. Peter is saying this great day, this great day that the prophets predicted, this great day that the prophets longed for, that angels longed to see has happened. This great day has come. God has fulfilled his promises for his people. And then what does Peter do? He quotes two more passages written by David. But what does he say? Being therefore a prophet, David was a prophet knowing that God had sworn him an oath to him and that had set one of his descendants on the throne. He he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he would not abandon to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. Peter was connecting all of God's Old Testament promises in Jesus Christ. When we think of Pentecost, if we don't think back to the Old Testament, we will miss what Peter is speaking about. We will miss what the Holy Spirit is pointing us to. Because Pentecost isn't not about the Holy Spirit. Pentecost is about Christ. Christ. 
If you listened while Mark read through it, the Holy Spirit was only mentioned four times in all 47 chapters, or all 47 verses. Do you know who Peter kept referencing over and over and over again? Jesus. He kept telling the people why they needed Jesus. This is what the work of the Spirit does for his people. He points them to their need for Jesus. Peter points his listeners to their past so that they can fully understand their present reality. They needed Jesus. And Jesus promised them the Holy Spirit. The Spirit would sprinkle them clean from all uncleanliness. The Spirit would recreate them in the image of Christ. God has promised his people that he would act. And in Acts chapter 2, we see God act on behalf of his people by sheer grace. By sheer grace. The apostles were in the room just waiting for something to happen. There was nothing that they could do. God acted by sheer grace. Brothers and sisters, there is nothing you do to deserve this. This historic event was nothing other than God's sheer grace for his people. Blessing them beyond their wildest dreams. Blessing those who had broken the covenant law. But because of Christ and his work upon the cross and because of Christ and his resurrection, his people are now drawn in as sons and daughters, receiving what? The inheritance. The inheritance of the Holy Spirit, which will purify them. God was giving his people a new beginning in Christ through the power of the Spirit. His promises were fulfilled. Christ was the answer that they needed. Christ had done the work that they couldn't complete. And they received it by the blessings of the Holy Spirit working in their lives. Now at the same time, Pentecost was a significant day all by itself. God worked in a miraculous way that we do not need to expect to happen today. Because he started a new beginning that day. But now we receive the benefits of that great redemptive work through the continuation of the work of the Spirit. Because on that day was a new beginning. But on days like today is when 
God's people receive a new baptism. Because our baptisms point to something outside of ourselves. Our baptisms point us to Jesus. If you have a Trinity hymnal, which you, which you all should, um, you might actually f- find it hard to believe, but the, our confession of faith is actually in the back portion of it. And on page 864, our confession speaks of baptism. And it says, Baptism is a sacrament of the New Testament ordained by Jesus Christ, not only for the solemn admission of the party baptized into the visible church, but also to be unto him or her a sign and seal of the covenant of grace, of his engrafting into Christ, of regeneration, of remissions of sins, of his giving up unto God through Jesus Christ to walk in newness of life. Our baptism points to the reality, to the true historic event that happened at the, resurre- at the death, resurrection, ascension, and Pentecost of the great work of God's redeeming love for his people in Christ. Our baptisms point us to Christ. And this is how Peter ends this passage. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you and for your children and for those who are far off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Do you know the significance of our baptisms? It points us. It reminds us our salvation is secure in Christ. There's nothing more for you to add. There's nothing more that you can do. It is finished in Christ. We receive baptism by grace. We also receive the great grace which baptism points to. Through our baptism, God continues his work in us, nurturing our souls. I say this every time we do a baptism. Remember your baptism and how God has been faithful to you and your family. This is the work of Christ and his spirit by sheer grace for his people. And we continue on this work of Pentecost through his spirit, through the proclamation of the gospel. This is exactly what Peter does. They are baptized with the spirit and he goes and proclaims the gospel. And what does Jesus do when he's baptized by the spirit? He goes and proclaims the good news that the kingdom has come. And through the gift of regenerate power of the spirit, we continue to do what? What are we called to do as God's people? To baptize the nations. In the name of the Father, the Son, of the Spirit. Pointing to where our God's promises have landed. 
they've landed in Christ. Brothers and sisters, this text calls us to rejoice. This is why we can read a passage such as this and not need much more. If this doesn't get you excited, if this doesn't point to the joy that we have in Christ, you've missed the gospel of Jesus. He has done all that needs to be done. Your salvation is secure. If this passage doesn't describe you, I pray that you will be cut to the heart. That your sins will be revealed to you and that you will believe and repent in the gospel. And that he will start a new beginning in your life today. God also calls us, his church, to be incorporated into this story, the story that the prophets began long of old, the story of God's great redemption that has been accomplished and applied through his spirit. He calls us to join in this story. Do you know how you join in this story? By teaching our children the story that is their heritage. By loving our neighbor as Christ has loved us. By proclaiming the gospel to the nations that the remnant of God's people might be drawn to the glories of Christ. This is the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. Pentecost is the fulfillment of all the promises of God that he would bless his people ultimately in Christ so that they might be a blessing to the nations and be drawn to Jesus. This is what the Spirit was doing in Jeremiah's day. This is what the Spirit was doing in Ezekiel's day and in Micah's day and in Joel's day. This is what the Spirit was doing at Pentecost. And this is what the Spirit is doing here this morning through his people proclaiming the gospel and pointing them to the only hope that we have in Jesus. And how the new age has come. That death no longer has reign over us. We have no need to fear. For Christ has come and Christ has given us all things. And we've been sealed by his spirit. Pentecost is a historical day. Because it reminds us that our salvation is secure and that the new life to come is going to get better in Christ. Amen.